0: Welcome to Gaze of the World and I, a podcast series by Belong. I'm Swati Joshi, your host. In this series, we will talk to various authors whose work explores the myriad of experiences of individuals who are understanding and exploring their sexuality against the facade of family, community and the city. In each episode, we will speak to different authors to understand their journey as writers, their inspirations of writing on the subject the challenges and the rewards, and what they hope their work will end up doing for their readers. Through this series, we hope to have conversations that can bring us closer to the common human experiences of loss, of love, and of finding oneself against the backdrop of patriarchy and heteronomy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Gaze of the World and I. Today, we are talking to Ruth Vanita, the author of Dancing with the Nation, courtesans in Bombay Cinema. Ruth is an academic, an activist, and an author who has contributed to literature around gender, sexuality, and culture. Currently a professor at the University of Montana in USA, she previously taught at Delhi University for many years. She co-founded India's first nationwide feminist magazine called Manushi, a journal about women in society, which combined academic research and grassroot activism. An author of several books such as Gender, Sex and the City, Urdu-Rekhti Poetry in India, Memory of Light, which is a novel, Love's Right, Same-Sex Marriage in India and the West, and many more, she has also translated many works of fiction and poetry from Hindi and Urdu to English. In today's episode, we will speak to her about her book Dancing with the Nation, Courtesans of Bombay Cinema which is a groundbreaking study of courtesans and courtesan imagery in 235 films, throwing light on the role that the courtesan figure played in shaping the modern Indian erotic, political and religious imagination. Exploring the courtesan figure through various lenses of history, the nation, religion and eros, we will embark on a journey of understanding the challenge this figure puts to the patriarchal setup of family, of marriage and of sexuality. Stay tuned for a conversation that explores Ruth's journey of writing this book, the challenges and the discoveries that she made, and what she wants her readers to take away from it. Firstly, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. To begin with, I actually wanted to sort of start off with this whole idea of, you know, when one says the word wife, there's a very cliched sort of an image that comes in mind. So, you know, you have a Kathak dancer who's Surrounded by admiring men, drinking liquor, she's dancing in this beautiful sort of a haveli kind of a space, and she's also shown as, or that's what comes in our mind, that she's you know involved in sexual activities that are not really acceptable by societal norms. As a Kathak dancer myself, I have heard and experienced almost a sort of a disdain for even being a Kathak dancer and being like wanting to say dance like Madhuri in Devdas. So I wanted to sort of understand from you. Why did you want to talk about and write about the wives in this book?
1: Okay, to begin with, I use the word Tawai's when relevant, but the title is Courtesans in Bombay Cinema. And that is because there are many courtesans portrayed in Bombay Cinema who are not wives. For example, there are lots portrayed from the ancient past. Okay, there are several films about them, and the word wife was not used at all. There are also films about Devdasis, there's films from Maharashtra where other words are used. So yeah, the wife is about a certain kind of North Indian courtesan, right? So that's one thing. Why did I want to write about it? Because I found two or three very inaccurate generalizations being made by film critics and generally accepted by everyone, which also relates to what you said about the view of the wife. One is many film critics have sort of stated that before the 90s, women are portrayed as either a good girl or a vamp. And that's it. When they say this, they are ignoring the wives, courtesans completely because courtesans are both usually portrayed as good women and they're not exactly vamps. Most of them, especially in the earlier films, are fully covered. Their film like are fully covered. So when you make this kind of generalization that they're all good girls versus vamps, you are treating the wives as if they are not women. But they are women. They are a group of women, right? A second completely false generalization was and this comes from equating courtesans with Tawayefs to some extent, but first to say that wives, everybody, when you say Tawayef, even say courtesan, thinks of the Islamicate, whatever that is, and thinks that all of them are Muslims or most of them are Muslims and their whole culture is Muslim and Islamicate, that's what it means. And this is absolutely wrong. In fact, Salim Kidwai had written a report for Jamia Milya on this subject of courtesans in movies. And I had helped him with that. And he did a count where he found that he looked at 30 films. In that, he found 34 were Hindu, 33 were Muslim, and 18 were indeterminate, which I'll come back to, which is very important. And he found that 18 of those 33 Muslim women appeared in two films, Pakiza and Umrajan. Now, I would say that when people generalize about Tawaiyus, the they are mostly thinking of three to four films, Pakiza, Jan, Devdas, and Mughal the two Umrawjaans. That's it. But there are hundreds of films, very important films, like Amar Prem, like Sadhana. They don't fit in this pattern. Now, I counted for this book, I counted courtesans in 147 films from 1939 to 2015. And I found there were 142 Hindu Women, 59 Muslim, and 56 indeterminate ones in 147 films. And indeterminate is important because when they have names like Yari, like Hira, etc., you, Gulabog, you can't say whether they are, unless there's some other marker, you can't say whether they are Muslim or Hindu. This is the only group of characters in Mumbai a significant group, where, you, where the caste, where the religion is not always evident. And this makes sense because the uh, courtesans lived a very hybrid life, as they often say in films themselves, and in real life as well. My earlier book before this is called Gender, Sex, and the City. It was about Urdu literature in late 18th, early 19th, but well, actually the whole of the 19th century, and a certain kind of poetry there. I won't go into that. But what I realized from doing that research was that courtesans were the female intellectuals of the time. They were high-earning women. They lived in matrilineal, female-dominated households. And they had not only love, love relationships with men, but friendships with men, which were equally important. They also had relationships with each other. They were poets. They were dancers. They were many things. And they were not sex workers. So the way these days we think in later Bombay films, I should say, from 80s onwards, the wife becomes simultaneous with Randi or with the sex worker. And that is not at all what they were. They were having what we would call serially monogamous relationships with men. And often they got married. A lot of them got married in later life. And they knew who the fathers of their children were. Mostly they knew. So they were not simply sex workers. There is a difference, right? So to correct these two or three wrong generalizations, that was one of my main reasons for writing the book.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, this was a leading question only that you just mentioned that, you know, there's, especially after the 70s and the 80s in your book, also you talk about how the courtesans become almost like synonymous with prostitute. And this has something to do with the whole 1857 revolt and how sort of that the British has kind of changed the narrative. Can you talk a little bit about how this narrative also sort of clashed with the way courtesans were then being perceived and then also later on being portrayed? I mean, how is this whole complex situation working and what kind of implications did it have on the courtesans themselves?
1: Up to 1857, the British were dominating India, or at least many parts of India, fiscally, financially. But culturally, the two cultures continued side by side and the Indian cultures, whether Hindu or Muslim or any other Sikh, were not really controlled and dominated the education system, etc. were not dominated by the British. After the defeat of the revolt in 1857, in North India at least, that may be different. In North India, after that defeat, among the educated elites, there's a sense of we have to remake ourselves and become more like the British if we have to fight back against them. And that's what people did. And they became, and this applies across the board from left to right, including nationalists, Gambians, communists, everyone. There is the sense of we have to be heterosexual, we have to be monogamous, we have to become like that and pretend that our entire past was like that as well. So, and this is, you can see it clearly, the British, I shouldn't say all the British, many of the British who came to India, they really enjoyed Indian culture, they enjoyed the courtesans, they enjoyed the same-sex sexuality, they enjoyed many things. But the rulers, the authorities after 1857, they bring in a lot of laws which change things, like the anti-sodomy law in Section 377. They also bring in laws to regulate the courtesans, where they treat them as sex workers. They make no difference between the sex workers and the courtesans. And that's how they saw them. And also they bring in their education system, makes people ashamed of just pleasure for its own sake. And not this is not just sexual pleasure, any pleasure, drinking, any pleasure that is for its own sake. And that is the sort of uh, mindset that we inherit. And I say we over the next 100 years. So, Indians inherit a particular type of Victorian puritanism where everything we do has to have a moral purpose, an educational, a social purpose, change society, do something, whether we are reading, whether we are anything we do, the songs we are singing, whatever we are reading. It has to be to change society, make things better, to make ourselves better, and all of this. So, it, just doing things for pleasure. Becomes uh, is seen as wrong, and so courtesans who are providing not just sexual pleasure but pleasure in conversation, pleasure is an art that they cultivated the art of conversation, pleasure in dance, in song, etc. All of that and the poetry that went along with it by male poets as well, all of it becomes suppressed. It gets lost in libraries, etc. So that's what happens and then in real life also this is interesting but in real life as the patrons of the courtesans change from being kings princes noblemen as those people are moved to the margins then the patrons become businessmen contractors etc who want different type of music they don't want the classical music and this is actually portrayed in films rather nicely whether you know there's a film called yatra which portrays, Drekha, which portrays this very well so gradually the courtesans have to wear less and less clothing. They used to be always fully dressed except for the face and hands. They have to wear less and less clothing. They have to perform much faster numbers, etc. And mm-hmm. gradually that whole change happens over the next 100 years. A lot of them have to get married. A lot of them sink into poverty and into actual sex work. And then the fortunate few move into cinema, into theater, first in theater, then into cinema. And they are actually the shapers of cinema. And that's one of the things I discuss in the book. The first women directors, the first women producers, the choreographers, the first actresses and singers, dancers. They're all from courtesan backgrounds, including some very famous names, various things in cinema. But they shape the portrayal of courtesan characters. And this changes over time because in the 40s, 50s, 60s, The directors, the male directors, they actually knew courtesans, women from courtesan backgrounds, these were their colleagues. And so they knew what they were talking about much more. And by the 90s, 80s, 90s, there are no more, very few courtesans in real life. So now the directors are getting their ideas from many places, from movies themselves. They're not really getting, and they also, what they know is bar dancers and sex workers, that's what they see. And so they start portraying courtesans in that way. You know, another point I forgot to say is that many film critics say that up to the 90s, all films were male oriented, with one or two exceptions, like Mother India, all films were male oriented. That is the major character, the protagonist was a man. All right. And it's only in 90s that this begins to change with Mother Idikshan. This is absolutely wrong. Because what they're doing is they're omitting all the courtesan films. In the courtesan films, I looked at 235 films. For this book, I watched 235 films. Every major actress plays the role of a courtesan. But why? Because... The courtesan character has agency, has mobility, agency and desire, but agency otherwise in life too. This is the first group of women portrayed in cinema as working women. The first group portrayed as single women, the first group portrayed as single mothers, the first group portrayed to form chosen families, all of these things. So there are numerous films that we, that most people don't think of. And there were lots of female oriented films, films like, as I said, Amar Prem and Sardana and Sanghalshan, where the courtesan figure has equal billing with the male figure. It's an equally important actor and she gets the same amount of attention in the story.
0: Right. It also was sort of eye opening for me as well as I was reading it because One is most of these films are films I haven't seen. So it kind of gave me a chance to at least look at song videos and understand what exactly were you also trying to talk about? Because you're right, like there's a constant sort of very uncomplicated way in which we are told about courtesans or even like we're not even told about these characters as being characters. They're there. So I wanted to actually understand, you were talking about, you know, how in films like Amar Prem and even a film that you've mentioned called Mandi, there are realistic portrayals of, you know, how the courtesan households and how that entire family, if I may use that word, functions. If we look at cinema today, and if we look at, say, the characters that are built for women, what kind of impact do you think does this courtesan character past have on today's portrayal of women characters in cinema?
1: A lot, because as the actual courtesan actresses and directors were replaced by middle-class women directors and actresses, but this, I've argued in the, the chapters are named family, work, eros, and I've that idea of say eros, many simplistic generalizations would be, oh, that the Ta'if is just a sex object in movies, and she's absolutely not. It's much more mixed than that. I wouldn't use the word realistic in a simple way either, because a movie is not realistic about anything. No movie is realistic. It's a mixture of realism and imagination and the projection, right? But the idea of what is erotic, the Indian erotic imagination, I think is shaped to a large extent by movies. Like what is erotic? Pan as an erotic symbol, dancing as an erotic symbol, a certain kind of song as an erotic symbol, Bunguru as an erotic symbol. And we find all these symbols gradually being taken over by the middle-class female character, the character as well as the real woman. But on the screen, when she wants to seduce the boyfriend, then she, I've given examples in in the book, She takes on some of these things. She puts the gajra in her hair, she presents the pan and she woos him, and then she, yeah. So this is what the the wife actually pouring out wine. See, the wives are always shown pouring out wine. The middle class woman pours out tea. And then the shapes, as changes. And now, of course, the middle class female character also pours out wine, right? It changes and she drinks as well. So the, the wife was not usually shown drinking. She was shown pouring it out for the man. So as times change, but also, I think, the portrayal of what is erotic, Today, it's largely shaped by American ideas of what is erotic, but up to at least the 90s and early 2000s, and even to some extent today, that the idea of the courtesan, that imaginative past, it does shape what is considered erotic, right? So that is the way. Another example I could give is of Chosen Family. It's a central I've written and others have written elsewhere that Chosen Family is one of the central themes of Bombay cinema where you have the best friends, usually the male best friends, and they treat each other's families as their own families. They call the other guys mother and sisters mother and sister, and they do everything for them. Also, apart from that, they also have neighbors and friends, and they choose their own families, and they form these, right? And this is to some extent true of real life as well. But women don't, are not usually shown doing this. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 50s, women characters can't do this because they don't have the same amount of mobility and the same freedom to mix with others. Yeah, they can mix at most with women, but they can't mix with men as freely. The only women characters who can do this, and a lot of these, there are a lot of these, are the courtesan characters. They are able to move about. They are the first group of women in Bombay cinema show traveling on their own in trains, in cars, etc., driving their own cars, owning their own property. And this was true of real life, too. In the 19th century, there's a historian found, and I also found, they were paid very high salaries for working at court, the courtesan figures. I found, for instance, that in the early 19th century, Otisam was paid an amount in a month, which was the equal to the state budget for the local hospital. So that it's a high salary. And they were also the first women, apart from queens and so on, who owned property in their own names. And they were in the highest income tax bracket in the middle, middle of the 19th century. So this is true. But Bombay cinema does show this in the 50s. These women are shown owning their own homes, owning their own cars, driving their own cars. There's a film called Bank Manager that I analyzed, which is very interesting. They are shown in Bank Manager, she's the only woman in the film who reads a poem ki bicha, bicha de, a very famous song, which we don't often realize is sung by a courtesan to a man. She's seducing him with this song, right? Yeah, so in terms of chosen family, there are numerous films which show Mamutha as an example. There's another one who's a Gumti Kekinare, which shows a courtesan character adopting a man as her brother, and then they adopt a child and bring up that child together. This ball than one film showing this, right? Amar Prem is an example where she has this relationship with a man who has an unhappy marriage and his wife feeds him and she adopts the local child and then she and then ultimately the child takes her home there's a lot of goddess imagery also in the movie in many of these movies showing the courtesan as a goddess figure of various kinds as durga as ganga as sita as yashoda etc so yeah this idea of chosen family is strongly shaped by courtesan characters forming these chosen families. And then as far as biological family too is concerned, in a conventional family, I should say, a man has to look after his parents and a woman would lead. And this is from the 50s. So a 1959 film called, *Char Dil Chara Rahe, And in this, a courtesan is having an affair with a a guy, a chauffeur, Dilawar, and he proposes marriage and she's very happy about it. But then she says she obviously assumes that her mother who lives with her will live with them. And Dilawar says, no, I can't have a tawaif living in the house because her mother is a tawaif." Now, many courtesans who started working in movies, they themselves stopped working as courtesans, but their mothers, their families were right? So Piari says, do I have to leave my mother? And the lover says, oh, what is so special? Every girl leaves her mother when she marries. And then Piari says, she makes this statement about the difference between a matrilineal and a patriarchal household. She says, you are right, every girl leaves her mother. But Atavayev's daughter does not leave her mother. Those other mothers have homes and husbands and relatives. Atavayev's vishtedari, that is kinship, culminates in her daughter. So daughter is the most important child in Atavayev household. They wanted daughters, not son. So she says, I can leave the whole world for you, but I cannot leave my mother for you. So then uh, he says, then when he repeats, I can't have a wife in the house, Priyari retorts, she's not a wife; she's my mother. And at the end, he has a change of heart and he tells her, your mother is my mother and only then she marries him. So this kind of statement, you know, you don't find any other conventional hero in making. In the movies.
0: Yeah, that was also one of the lines that I marked and underlined as I was reading it also as you were talking about you know this especially in amar Prem I think that's what stayed within this whole idea of them having a having a relationship which is like family but it's not a sexual relationship they're living with each other so there's also this construct that has been created in cinema that you know, of what a marriage should look like and what a relationship should look like. And it's generally, you know, it's very heterosexual in its its portrayal. And then there are the wives and courtesans who are not particularly confined to this entire structure. And they are sort of, I mean, this is how I saw it, that they're kind of like the opposing factor in this entire situation. And there were these very interesting sort of things that you talk about where some courtesan characters are shown as they die in the end. Or something that happens, it's not a happy ending. Very few films show a happy ending. Or if she decides to get married, then, you know, then she's in a respectable place. When you were researching this and when you were watching all these films and writing this book, how was this clash sort of working? Like, what was really going on? How did it kind of affect even the way, you know, the storylines were created in cinema? Like, what did you observe while you were watching this, this whole clash? (laughs)
1: Changes gradually over time. And I think Parkiza has a lot to answer for. Parkiza is a great film for the music, I think, and for Meena Kumari. Apart from that, its portrayal of the courtesan life is largely wrong. And she makes these, she's made to make these absurd statements like, I'm like a walking corpse if I'm a courtesan, if I'm a then I'm like a walking corpse, and just a whole lot of nonsensical dialogue like that. And this idea before that, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, there are many courtesan films that end happily. Some of them end happily with marriage, even though the courtesan is not a virgin. And I should uh, even later in 80s, two are examples of this. I've given some examples. The courtesan is not a virgin, but she still does marry and have a happy ending that way. And I should say they are all heterosexual relationships. The one thing that Bombay cinema doesn't show about courtesan life, which is very clear from the 19th, 18th century poetry and prose, is the female-female relationships. It doesn't show that. Sometimes it suggestively gestures towards it, but mostly the relationships are heterosexual. But not the absolutely conventional heterosexual relationships. So yeah, to come back to the endings, another kind of happy ending which you have in some of the earlier films is that she remains a courtesan. She doesn't die and she doesn't get married. She remains a courtesan. And you see that in that film Kalapani, where she has this great working relationship with the hero and she is in love with him, but he's in love with somebody else. And But she ends up, she's still there and she's fine. After the 1970s, this begins to change. As I said, not completely change, but many famous movies change it. And I think Pakiza, again, is the example it changes it, that she has to be a virgin if she has to get married. And so you have in Pakiza the elephant and snakes and all those coming to her rescue to prevent her losing her virginity so that she can then marry at the end. So virginity and marriage, physical virginity. Now, that was not the case earlier. Look at a film called like Sadhana by Jantimala. Now, she is, nobody suggests she's not a virgin. She was raped when she was young and she's working as a courtesan, but she still marries him. Her mother-in-law is very unwilling to accept her, but ultimately her mother-in-law accepts her. At the end, you have that scene where her mother-in-law holds her hand and stops her from leaving and says, no, you entered this house and now you can't leave it as a, you can't go back to that life. So you could have that. And even in the 80s, there are one or two films, there are films where that happens. But mostly from this late 70s, 80s onward, what happens is that either the wife dies at the end, if she's non-virgin, she dies at the end, if she's virgin, she gets married. Yeah, other ending, like she just remains at the wife happily. Sometimes it happens in Ishak Ishak Zadeh, a late film in the 21st century. That there's that very helpful thawaf who helps him to helps the couple to get married, but she remains. She's not. The, I don't think the word thawaf is used. She's a dancer, but she is presented in every way as a thawaf. She's living in a thawaf type household, etc. She's living in that type of household, and she remains in that. She doesn't get married, and she doesn't die. But most of the films go in one of those two directions.
0: Yeah, it did hit me that why would that sort of ending be portrayed like why why would we have more films with those sort of portrayals and not have the portrayal where you know that the wife has chosen that she wants to remain in what she's doing and she's happy because this is something you also talk about that a lot of courtesans were also born into profession whereas in films the portrayal has been shown that oh they were either trafficked or something happened or they got lost or they got raped and hence as a consequence of that they became courtesans whereas that was not the reality they were born into it and they were trained by say some of the best gurus and dancers Mm -hmm. of that time I'm still sort of wondering as to why I mean just your opinion on it if that's possible as to why this would have even like why, why would they want to sort of have these narratives in the first place like why why wouldn't they want to stick to what was the reality or what what history also tells us Marriage or death
1: kind of thing. Well, to some extent, any literary text, whether it's a movie or it's a book, is influenced by the tradition, literary tradition. And marriage or death become the endings, not just for the wives, but for many characters in movies. They either commit joint suicide at the end or they get married at the end. Yeah, I think of many movies like Bobby and so many of the love stories. Or look at Mughal-e-Azam. Now at which I which it took me a long time to realize but it's rather amusing is that the whole thing is that the Salim has to marry her or he has or she has to die some marriage or death is the old the other only choices of course, in the time as it was, and this is the result of monogamy being exalted as after the 50s as the only thing under Western influence. So now, of course, Akbar didn't have just one wife. You know, that's how he's portrayed in all these movies. He had many wives, all the kings, businessmen, nobility, etc. Hindu, Muslim, everybody uh, Sikh, had more than one wife. But no, all the other wives disappear. Akbar is totally monogamous. And then Salima has to be totally monogamous too. He has to either marry her or they have to both die or she has something like that. Why? In real life, he would have married her as a third, as a fifth, sixth, seventh. They had like dozens of, he married her as a twelfth wife and that would be fine. She would still have a status, but the first wife has to be a princess, but the fifteenth doesn't. And many kings and emperors, they manage, they actually married the wives. It's in the list that I have looked at, where the name is actually used, so-and-so in the wife or whatever. But that option is just not depicted at all, and nobody thinks of it because we are so used to this monogamous norm that we import it back into history and as <laughs> if it was either marriage or death. So that's one reason, I think. The other thing is, yeah, turning the wife into a romantic heroine. So she has to then, for the romantic heroine, too, it's that way, it's either marriage or death. And in fact, for many romantic heroes, it's that way. Either they're going to marry the girl they want or they're going to kill themselves. So it's fitting her into that same mold. So yeah, I think to some extent. And, and you're quite right, as I had also pointed out, that. Most of the courtesans in movies, and that goes back, I should say, a long way to the 40s and 50s, too. Most of them are shown as trafficked. Or, and this is our modern preoccupation with trafficking. In fact, they were in a profession like in any other profession. Most lawyers, children become lawyers even yeah. today, right? So they were in the profession. They were being trained as musicians, trained their children to be musicians. They were being trained in all the arts. They were the children of the family. They were not mostly, there were some examples, but they were not mostly being raped and turned into victims of becoming the wives. That's not how it is. Again, it's a consequence of the overlapping of sex work. Movies show sex work and life as the same thing, and hence all the confusion to some extent, I think.
0: yeah yeah, it was very fascinating when I was reading it because it was like almost you're right. I mean the monogamous structures are so sort of ingrained in us that we also don't see how it's affecting the way we are seeing different characters in the film. You also were talking about how even like saying the word tawaif gives it a sort of a Muslim or Islamic connotation, whereas it's not really true. Where, and you also talk about it in one of the chapters that they're not just Muslims, they're of different religions. But why do you think that that connotation has stayed on with us? Why do you think that we always associate courtesans as of a specific religion only? Just something I was I just was curious about.
1: It's because of cinema, cinema, Bombay movies, and I'm sure other movies too, but Bombay movies for sure were obsessed with the Mughals, and so that's all they show you. There were Orcha had Hindu kings, there was a famous wife there, there was a king's wife, and she had a whole palace there. If you go to Orcha, you see it. But who makes a movie about that? So, all the movies are about Mughals. And the glamour of the Mughals and the courtesan is part of that glamour of the Mughals. It's not just Mughalism, there are many others, right? So that's one where we associate directly with the Mughals and then we associate the Mughals with Muslim and that's how it is. And the other... Various, so it was Islam because of these three four films: Umrao Jan, That's how Devdas is also; she's there, but that's not featured as one of the topicals. Devdas is treated mostly about his misery and so on. It doesn't focus on my so much. But the famous courtesan movies are pakiza and Umrao right? And Mughalism, and so all of them are Muslims in those. And that though, when you say the that's the image that comes in your head. Rekha too, in several of the movies, is portrayed as Muslim, so that's why. But if you do an actual count, like I did, the majority of them. I would say that disproportionately there are more Muslims, disproportionately to the population there are more Muslims shown as survivors in movies. But still, the majority of characters shown in movies are Hindu, and they're not just Hindu by name; they are Hindu practicing Hindus they are performing puja, they are going to the temple Amal Prem you see this but there are many other movies where you see that she says I'm fasting on Tuesday so I'm not working on Tuesday I'm not that you know so they are shown performing all these things and now in actual life the the wives very often had sort of hybrid practices they would celebrate in Lucknow at least and I don't know about all cities but they would sing Morsiyahs at Muharram but they would also you know celebrate Diwali and Holi and as I said they had customers in one movie the lady in charge actually says that very nicely oh we are we deal with all comms all the men of all all." religions come to us so we we don't make any distinctions like that right so they were used to mixing with all types of people and coming from different types of backgrounds living in mixed households and i actually i wrote this novel called memory of light a year ago and and that I tried to depict this very hybrid life of the wives of the, the in particular. I won't say the whole city, but of, we often think of this Ganga, Jamanak as if the whole city was happening like that. No, Hindus and Muslims are leading very separate lives in separate they met, They had friendships, but they didn't marry and they didn't usually eat together. And when they invited you, invite the other community to a wedding, you have a separate cook and a separate set of food and all that for them. And they didn't usually meet the women of the other community. So if you were a Hindu, you wouldn't meet them. We are Muslim best friends by it, very rarely and the other way around too. So yeah, it was pretty divided, but the kotha is the exception. The kotha is the place where people, of men of all religions come and they meet each other as well as the women. So they're all friends there. And the quota is the place where the women too are from mixed backgrounds because their fathers are from different communities, right? That is the real place where there is now, you don't want to accept that. We won't want to say, oh, the real in the quota," because we think, still think of the quota as a negative place, right? So we want to say the whole society was syncretic and of course it wasn't. Yeah, so the court to some extent, our court to some extent was yeah. syncretic. Again, had much more Muslim than Hindu, but it had, of course the king celebrated Holi and Diwali and so on. But the quota is the real, I would say, much more hybrid place. Yeah, movies do show that. The movies do show that. I have to say, they do show the women doing various things. The Muslim wives wearing saris and bindis, which they did, as well as garlands and Hindu women wearing uh, different types of costumes to dance. a Kakata costume, but also wearing a sari. As well. I mean, you know, various things. So they do show that rather well.
0: Yeah, I think the point about Umrao Jan and Mugliazm makes a lot of sense to me as well. Because, like I mentioned earlier, as a Kathak dancer, these are the two films also that kind of stand out that mm-hmm. oh, this is what it looks like and this is what it means. And so also the criticism that we would face or I would face, and some of my friends who were also practicing it much more rigorously than I was, face similar sort of issues. Khadi to Isko Bas Whereas What you also talk about that they were intellectual beings who were trained professionally into singing, dancing. They would also play instruments much early on. I think that was something it got lost in translation while as time went by. Just to move a little bit away from the subject of the book, I was actually curious about you looked into like 235 films. Mm -hmm. What were the kind of challenges in that process? And how did you manage to sort of compile all of that data into almost very succinct sort of chapters and, you know, divide and take us on this journey of how like, it's almost like, you know, you're peeling one layer after the other as you read the book. So how was that process like for you?
1: It is an immense amount of work because I made detailed notes on every film. And that's a lot of work. And I should say there a lot of bad movies i watched, overall bad movies. But they had some, each one of them had some, one interesting feature, one interesting moment. And that made it worthwhile. And so I thanks to YouTube, I got a lot of the movies on YouTube and other internet sources. But then I also borrowed films from people's in private collections, like Celine's private collection. One or two films I really wanted to see. I met Nutan, for example. Never acted at the wife only once. And she was a poet in, and the Wife* in that movie. And I couldn't get hold of that film. And finally, I got it from somebody's, I think Selim got it from somebody's private collection in Jaipur or wherever. So that was the way. And of course, 235 is the tip of the iceberg. There are hundreds, there are hundreds more from those decades. So yeah, but I, I had to stop somewhere. I would keep trying to stop and then I would find more and more and more. Take Rekha, for example. Like when you say Rekha, you immediately think of Umrao Jan and uh, you know, one or two famous films. you see her as the wife, but she acted as the wife in many, many films, many of the other movies, including B grade movies, where she was acting as a Hindu girl, she was acting as a Hindu. wife. So, in these famous ones, she's a Muslim, and that is the picture that comes in one's mind, but there were many others where she was a Hindu as well. So, yeah, exactly. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also sort of wanted to kind of just throw in this whole question of. Like when you were sort of watching these films and you said, you know, many were quite bad and somewhere you wanted to watch them. Out of all the detailed notes and every research thing that you did, what were some of the, like say, your top picks in terms of the differences that you found that were very interesting for you and something that you sort of enjoyed writing about as well?
1: Amar Prem is one of my favorites uh, for various reasons i really had to search for this movie, but Mendi 1958 is the first, first movie that shows Umrao Jan's story with actually that name Umrao. And the differences between that and the later to Umrao Jan's because Mehdi is a forgotten film, were very interesting. And then there were lots of them. Heba Balani acted many times. There were also certain songs I really liked. Naya in 1957. There's just that one song by the two dancing girls, the Nashane Wallis, and which is basically sort of a cross dress thing but basically they, they look like two women and they're kind of wooing each other they're flirting with each other so that was a one sort of lesbian moment and there are these moments in certain films of course I love the Kasam, Thistri history and uh, what goes on there you see her as a you know making choices actively making choices about whether she wants to marry him or whether she wants to stay with her company and she also talks about her ambition how she enjoys being on the stage and in the lights etc she's not being dragged there and forced there and into it as many later movies show but she enjoys the attention and the adulation and all that at the same time she might sleep with various men but she doesn't want to be when she has a choice when that man tries to rape her or seduce a rich man she refuses that right so those were some films I really liked I really liked Mamta you were talking earlier about in Amar Prem the relationship she has with Rajesh Kanna that figure Anand Babu what I liked about movies like that and about Mamta are the ambiguous nature of the relationship there are clues in the movie going both ways are they having a sexual relationship or are they not the movie's not focused on that it's not interested in that it's interested in the love between them at the end of Amar Prem on the screen comes this is immortal love this is Amar Prem and in Mamta too you know so you see her him in her bedroom standing in the doorway smoking a cigarette very relaxed in the house at the same time you never see anything that is explicitly showing that they have spent the night together, that had sex. Uh, same with Amar Prem. And then there are clues in the language where she says, in the end of Amar you have always given and never taken anything. In the language of Hindi, if he had had sex with her, she would not say that, most likely, because then he has, she has given him something. But she says, I've never... Nobody has ever given you anything I want to give. So there are clues there, but what's interesting to me is that it is not focused on that, as many later films become focused on that. Like Pakistan, is she having sex? Is she not having sex? She's freaking out? Elephants are stopping her from having sex. It's not important. Love is what is important. And I think well, one of the great strengths of Bombay movies is it's... Elevation of love, all kinds of love between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between brothers and brothers, between male friends, between. So love is what is important. And that is why I think a lot of LGBT people have been so fond of Bombay movies. I used to wonder about this earlier on. I used to think they're so heteronormative and why are so many gay men so fond of that? And I realized over time, as Shohini Ghosh has suggested, that it's because they elevate love above everything else, that everything is worth sacrificing for love, any kind of love. And that is what the courtesan movies also do. So it's the love, the bond between the two, where in Mamta, for example, he brings up her child as his adopted child. He's a lawyer and she becomes a lawyer, not a courtesan, right? But she's not his biological child. But it doesn't matter. He does it for love of the mother. And then he, of course, loves the daughter too after
0: bringing her up. Yeah, that was interesting. As you were talking, just a question that popped in my head that I think I, I forgot to ask as I was listening to you. There's a section where you talk about how The courtesan and the was played a very big role in, say, the freedom movement, something that we don't really, I think it's still the 1857 revolt and how that that entire space plays a very big role. Can you talk a little bit about history versus portrayal? Because I think you've mentioned that it's, there's a mention of it in Mangal Pandey the mm-hmm. film, where there is it's shown that the role of Hirabai played by Rani Mukherjee is very explicitly talking about her, you know, contribution and her role in in that entire movement. Could you talk a little bit about, say, what history tells us in terms of what role that space and the courtesans played? And then, therefore, did it even get portrayed, not get portrayed, or what really happened there?
1: Well, several people have written about it recently. Several people have written about it. I think Saban Akvi is one, and others have written about it. I don't want to exaggerate that. I don't think that it was all over the place and there were major players. They were players, but not the most important players. And they were related to, they were having relationships with these various men who were nationalists of different kind. And as time, especially in the early 20th century, but then they were in the actual national movement begins. All groups want to distance themselves. As we know, Gandhi famously said that he would not take their donations unless they left the profession, which he couldn't do. That's where they were getting the money from, right? So they were kept at a distance. In 1857, yes, they probably participated. Though again, I, I don't know about the scale. You know, they were, there are a few important women who do certain things and they are sympathetic, but whether how much they actually in terms of numbers and proportions, it's not probably not as large. But what I'm interested in is how in the movies they become symbols of the nation, just as in Mother India, the woman becomes a symbol of the nation. That happens in other movies. And one of my favorites of that for that is this film called Burning Train, which was a very high-budget movie at the time. There's only a, one, there's a brief Tawai moment, but on Achnewali movement, she's not called a Tawai, where this woman called Ramkali is, and she's in a red sari, which so is a bridal color, but which is also the color of uh, passion and so on. And she sings this song in which the whole, all the passengers join. And it's a song about hedonism and living for the moment. And all the passengers who include Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, they all join and all classes and so on, they all join. But when the train starts burning, then they need, then her role changes and she becomes a symbol of the nation in a very Mother India kind of way. Because they have to throw a red cloth out of, as a signal to the authorities, out of the train to say that they are receiving the radio messages. And the bride lady who's there in Churnia, is not willing to give the symbol of her sohag. And then Ramkali takes off her sari and she says, I don't have any sohag and I won't have any sohag, so, but I want to save everybody's life and so use this. And when she takes off the it's this very dignified moment, and I've called it kind of inverted or reverse property moment, because instead of being stripped, she takes it off herself and she gives it to save everybody's life, right? and at the end of the movie she's briefly shown again when everybody's singing another sort of a national christian prayer basically to save them he's holding the baby that has been born on the train so it's not her baby but she's holding the baby and so she becomes this kind of mother india figure to some extent so yeah and there are many movies in which the courtesan is seen as a goddess figure is shown as a goddess figure and is shown as a figure of the as part of the nation in one movie she says i'm also part of the nation like this guy says to her which is this movie uh, Sarana, he said he's trying to tell his students that courtesans are bad and so on. And then he falls in love with the courtesan. But he says, you know, that they are brave. And then at a certain point, I think he's told that she's also part of the nation. And he realizes that. And more than one movie makes that kind of statement.
0: Yeah, I just have the book with me. I think the opening lines that you used in the chapter, Nation, was from the film Sharafat. The male mm-hmm. college teacher to Tawai. If these boys are the future of this country, please swear, spare them. And the Tawai says, I'm also something to this country. Yeah.
1: Who's the same age as those male students? You know, Charafat, she's a young girl who's at the same age of those male students and she wants to study too. And then he realizes that he should teach her. And so she starts coming to his house and he teaches her. And there's a picture of Saraswati on the wall. He's teaching her. So, so she's also, why shouldn't she be a student? And, you know, yeah, that was, what, that was the movie it was from. And Sadhana too, he's a teacher. And then he's teaching Vasansena, he's teaching the ancient India. And he's talking about, and the students are asking questions like, can she be a patriot? Does she bother? And he's ambiguous and confused about it.
0: So right. what do you want the readers to take away from this book? What kind of conversations are you hoping that people will start having after they read this book of yours?
1: <laughs> oh, well, I can't. <laughs> I don't know. But I guess just a corrective to the stereotype we all grew up, we all have that we got from movies. But to realize that the movies, one thing is that the movies are much more complex than they're made out to be. There's many more movies than we realize. It's not just a few famous ones that shape things. And there are movies that were famous at the time that we've forgotten now, but the songs may still alive, like Sabaa Kendo from Bank Manager, everybody's forgotten the movie, but the song everyone knows, right? So to realize that the movies did, I think, a great job They're on many issues, and the whole body of the movies is much more complex than it is made out to be. And so courtesans and women generally are not just presented as sex objects, I don't think so at all it's a whole different question of whether you can be in love with someone without objectifying them. Of course, they are your your sex object, but <laughs> when you're in love with someone, it's some mutual objectification that has to take place. But apart from that, I think mom Cinema did a great job, a mixed job. It's not all great. And there's a lot of very annoying stuff in Mombi Cinema. but portraying them as working women, single women, adoptive mothers, chosen families. So that's one thing. And I also talked about male allies, you know, the male, the brother of the courtesan, for example, the hijra friend, for example, in Mangal Pandey, the hijras, so all of that, but also, yeah, how much these women that there were women, because there's this tendency to generalize about women in India's past as if they were all submissive wives till the West came along and turned everybody educated. No, there were other many groups of women. There were princesses, there were queens, there were noble women, there were educated women, there were Mystics, there were the poets, there were all of these people, there were yogis, they were wandering women, there were sadhis, there were so many, and there are also courtesans who actually have a very long history in India. Going back to ancient India, it's changes and there are lots of discontinuities on the different types of courtesans, but there have been a continuous presence in the urban environment. And they have shaped the country as much as the group have. Have shaped the national imagination. Have shaped the culture. And to realize that and that cinema does portray that to some extent. And so, yeah, I think those are the
0: two things. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.